Well, that was beautiful. I appreciated that this morning. Take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter this morning. And uh, Dr. Burt, that message about the preaching competition reminded me of the first time I preached in our preaching competition here at West Coast. And uh, I remember being very nervous and I remember laboring over my message. And I picked a time slot that was pretty late because I didn't want anyone to be there. And uh, I remember feeling pretty good about my message going into it. And I'm just pouring my heart out over in the North Auditorium. And I look in the back row and it's about one in the morning and Dr. Getch is out. He is out. He, he was not awake <laughs> at all, you know. Uh, he wrote me a note afterwards about how he was so encouraged about my message. And I, I thought, how can this be, you know? Uh, it really, uh, the word of God penetrated his, uh, his sleeping <laughs> heart there. So we're in 1 Peter uh, chapter number 2, and I'd like to bring a message this morning entitled, A Heart for the House. A Heart for the House. And before we get into this, let me just, uh, just say a quick word of gratitude to each and every one of you, because I don't get the opportunity uh, to be here in this setting where I get to speak to all of you very often, but I just want to say how much I appreciate you, and it's a joy to see you guys around here at the campus. I get to interface with a few of you who work in youth ministry and many of you who helped out with youth conference, but you are a blessing to have around. The campus always feels different, especially going into the summer months, uh, but I just want to say a thank you. Thank you for the example that you set to even our youth group, and uh, it's just a joy to, to, to be here with you and serve alongside of each and every one of you. So uh, this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I'm going to be beginning reading in verse number 1. It says, Wherefore, we read, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious... To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I, I like looking at different types of houses I was out on the golf course with my dad this last week. We don't get to do that. Maybe just a couple times a year, but it's been a busy uh, season here. So we scheduled some time to go out golfing. And my dad, that's where all his stress that gets built up. It just gets, it just gets pent up, and then he takes it out on the golf ball. Yes, yesterday we were golfing. He actually drove the green on one of the holes. It was pretty amazing. He's, 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 he, he's amazing like that on the, on the golf course. But one of the things on the golf course was that we were golfing was there were some beautiful homes. I won't say whether or not uh, we hit any of those homes or how many or who hit those homes, right? But there's some beautiful homes on the golf course. And we were, we were looking around at some of the homes and, and looking and admiring some of the features. One of the homes that we saw had three different chimneys on the house. It was a big house. And we, we looked it up later on, on Zillow. And it was, it was pretty amazing. I like looking at different uh, types of homes. We got the, the big homes like we saw yesterday. And then there's, there's tiny homes. I don't know why those are so intriguing, but they are. I always think It'd be kind of cool to have a tiny home, you know, just a, maybe, maybe like an RV even that you can take with you or uh, uh, travel around in. And I, I like to look at different types of homes and uh, it's, it's interesting. But there's something special about our home though, right? 
Our home didn't compare to any of the homes we saw yesterday, but, but our home is something that we try to keep nice, we try to fix up. I got a to-do list at all times. Our, our house is about 15 years old now. It means that things are constantly breaking. So my wife reminds me of the things, and we try to fix those things. And I have a heart to fix those things because it's, it's our home, right? It's our, it's our house. Uh, a house on the golf course, it's neat, but I don't have really a heart to, to do anything with that house, to fix it up or, or to paint it or to uh, get any addition onto it. No, because it's not my house. Well, this morning, uh, Peter, in his word, God in his word through uh, Peter, introduces this concept of a spiritual house or a spiritual home. And I want to talk to you, each and every one of you, about having a heart for the house, uh, not a physical house here in Lancaster, not your physical house. Uh, but the house of God. And that's what Peter is doing here. And chapter number one, the emphasis here is individual. And much like the song we heard just a moment ago about the holiness of God, we are commanded in chapter one, be holy. There's an individual emphasis. Well, what we find here in chapter number two is this collective or corporate emphasis. So what are the benefits of being in Christ? And there's a few benefits of being a part of the household of faith. There, there are many benefits, but a few here specifically in this passage. I want you to take note of these, and I know some of these are going to be elementary. I know that some of these are going to be very familiar, and we're going to make application, and the application is going to be pretty simple at the end. But would you make note of each of these along the way? First of all, what are the benefits extended to the household of faith, extended to the church? Number one, we enjoy the goodness of God. What happens when we come together as a body of New Testament believers. Well, one of the things that happens is that when we come together, we enjoy God's goodness. Verse number three, it says, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, this passage is soaked in Old Testament references, and this is one of them. Peter is referencing Psalm 34, verse 8, where we read, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Here in the book of Psalm, David is uh, similarly, praising God uh, from the deliverance that he's received from his enemies. And similarly here, Peter is reminding the believers of their deliverance. Uh, they had experienced the grace of God. They had tasted of the goodness of God. They had seen it. They had tasted it. They had experienced it. And by the way, when Peter wrote uh, to these churches who were uh, facing, at the time, intense persecution, they were in exile. This was a, a circular letter that was meant to be passed around. Peter is in Rome, which is called Babylon, in uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Nero is the emperor. emperor. This is around 64 AD. Uh, what's my point here is that the circumstances were not easy. And sometimes we look at uh, circumstances to be an indicator of whether God is good or not. Can I tell you something? God is good at all times. It's not limited to a circumstance, whether your bill is paid for or whether you have a massive outstanding amount, whether your job is going well, or your job is in jeopardy or grades are well, or, or you're going to a difficult area or an easier area. Let, let me tell you this, that God is good. So here are the Christians that are facing difficulty. He's reminding them, oh, taste and see of the goodness of God. Now, when you taste of the goodness of God, your appetite and your affection will change. Uh, when you taste of the goodness of God, you want to tell others about it. Uh, a, a couple months ago, uh, Brother uh, Fong was here in town, and I was on the itinerary. I had the privilege of taking Brother Fong 
out to, out to eat. And usually, uh, when I take someone out to eat, I'll pick a restaurant, we'll go to Gino's or something like that. Well, when I got with Brother Fong, Dr. R, he just picked where we were going to eat, which was great. I was, I was fine with that. And he says, let's go eat at the Thai restaurant on the boulevard. I'd never been to the Thai restaurant on the boulevard. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Thai restaurant on the boulevard. It's a great restaurant. After we ate there, it was fantastic. And I couldn't stop talking to everyone about this Thai restaurant. I told my wife the next week, I took my wife to this restaurant. I called my mom. I said, you should go to this restaurant. I think that you will like it. Why? Because we, we tasted, we saw, we experienced that. And then we couldn't help but tell of it. See, something changes when you taste and see of the goodness of God. And one of the things that changes is our appetite. Our appetite changes. Look at verse number one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking. Now, sometimes uh, what happens is we want to, we know there's the things that we shouldn't do, so we try to lay these things aside without having a greater appetite for something better. When I was a kid, I loved bologna. Any of you guys like bologna sandwiches? I love bologna sandwiches. There was no finer delicatessen that I knew than a bologna sandwich. It was my favorite. I, you can make shapes and faces in the bologna. There's fun things you can do with bologna. Bologna was the best, right? I was a big advocate for bologna. Well, my, my grandma, she got a, a job at one of the delis in town at one of the supermarkets. And as she was working at the supermarket one time, we went to visit her and she would give us some, I don't know if she was supposed to, uh, but she would give us these samples of meats, right? My grandma's stealing from her job, you know? She was with the Lord now, so... Uh, so she would give us these samples of the meat. She would kind of sneak them to us. And one day she gave me a little sample of roast beef. Now, I like bologna, but once I tasted roast beef, I wanted nothing to do with bologna anymore. So I laid it aside for something better. This is what Peter is helping these new believers to understand. We're going to lay aside all these things. Why? Because there is something better. God's, here's the point, that God's goodness and grace in all of our lives should be a catalyst. That's the great motivator. It's not that we can't do this or we can't do this or we can't do this, but there's something better, and that is the brilliance and excellence of Christ. So we, when we come together, we enjoy God's goodness. This is nothing that fades, this doesn't diminish. You don't grow old and grow out of this truth. When we come together, we gather together as a church, one of the things that we do, and one of the things that should be on our minds and on our lips is the goodness of God. Number two, when we gather together, we experience God's presence. Look at verse number four. To whom coming as unto a living stone. This is speaking here of Jesus. We'll get to this in a second. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. By the way, the phrase to whom coming, that speaks of, uh, of, of us as we approach church. Now, the only reason that we can approach him, the only reason that we can come to gather together in a corporate environment like church is because he came to us first, right? So what Peter is doing is helping these believers to understand, like, when you come to church, as you approach him, this is how you should do it. So when we come together, we experience God's presence. Don't get over this wonderful truth that when we, when we come together, we, we're coming to God. We are approaching him in a special way as a body 
of believers. So to whom coming, it's just such a small phrase, but what a precious phrase that because Jesus came to us, because God sent his son to us, we can come to him and something very special happens. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel, they're, they're told in Deuteronomy 12, ye shall not do so unto the Lord uh, your God, our God, but unto the place which the Lord shall choose. What is, what is Moses speaking of here? Uh, the Canaanites would build an altar or shrine just everywhere, right? They'd pick a hill, they'd pick a spot. And, and here, the children of Israel are saying, you're, you're not to do that. There's going to be one place where God's presence would be manifest. And of course, you know, that is the temple. In 2 Chronicles, we read of the dedication of the temple, and Solomon makes an end of the praying. We read that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so the temple became the epicenter, right? The, the place where God's manifest presence was made on earth. Now, now, God didn't live in the temple, but he manifested his presence there in the temple. We read in Acts chapter 17 that God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Probably the Apostle Paul quoting from uh, Stephen in Acts chapter number 7. In 1 Kings chapter number 8 we read, But will God indeed dwell in the earth? Behold, the heaven of heavens cannot contain me, contain thee. How much uh, less this house that I have built it. So this is the place, not where God lived, but where he made his manifest presence known on the earth. Now, as Peter writes this letter, I mentioned a moment ago, it was around 64 A.D., and the temple is still standing, but not for long. In fact, this is something, if you're paying attention on Sunday, that we, were, we heard on Sunday about how the destruction of the temple came. The Arch of Titus, right, carried the Jewish menorah and the, 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 uh, a lot of the temple objects out of the temple, and the temple stood no more. And this is not a surprise. Jesus spoke of this. In Matthew chapter number 24, he said, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. I think we've got some pictures here of some stones. You can go to the Holy Land today, and there's some, still some stones that are toppled over in fulfillment of this prophecy, right? So God's manifest presence there is in the earth, is in, in the temple, right? That's where God made his presence known. But shortly after the writing here in 1 Peter, the temple is gone. So here's the question. Where is God's presence, where is his presence made known or manifest in the earth? Well, that's the question that 1 Peter is answering for us this morning. There is going to be a new temple or a new spiritual house. How many of you guys have ever gone on Zillow before? I've been on Zillow. Keep your hands raised if you've been on Zillow to spy on your neighbor's house. All right. All right. Just put your hands. Just kidding. So Zillow is interesting because you can go like we, we did yesterday. We saw some big houses and we, we went to Zillow and you can look at some of the features of that house. And you can see how many bathrooms there are, how many square footage. And it's interesting to see the features of the house. Well, Peter uses this phrase, a spiritual house. And he's speaking of the church of God. And he's, he's giving us here an idea of some of the features so let's talk about the features of a spiritual house. Let's get a closer look. So to whom coming as a living stone? Now, let's stop and think about that real quick. Living stone. Living stone. Is there anything odd about that phrase to you? Stones don't live, right? That's kind of an oxymoron. That's like jumbo shrimp, short pants, 
government organization, right? <laughs> the oxymoron, like, doesn't make sense. Living stones. Some of your parents may have had, a, like, a pet rock. That's not what we're talking about here in this passage. What does it mean, living stone? You can't get more lifeless than a rock. My girls, they love rocks. They go everywhere and they'll pick up rocks. My, my daughter comes here to church and she'll, she'll pick up from the planters. If Brother Box ever wondering why the planters are low on rocks, it's because my daughter picks them up and she'll put them in my pocket sometime. And as I'm leaving, I'm trying to like throw them, throw them out. And she, she can remember where she got her rocks. And uh, she's three years old. And sometimes she names her, her rocks. That, that's not what we're talking about here. What does it mean living stone? Well, first of all, here's what this means. That Jesus is the foundation. This is one of the things that we read here in this passage is that Jesus is the foundation. There's, there's two key reminders in this passage. And the first is that Jesus is the foundation of this living house. The Burj Khalifa in Dubai, it's 160 floors tall. Uh, it, has, it took uh, 110,000 tons of concrete to pour the foundation of the building. As much, as high as the building is, it's more than one third of its height is the depth to provide the foundation. Any builder will tell you that a foundation is the most important part of the building. In fact, when we even started on the Kid City construction, uh, they had to go down again and dig again, dig down deep because the foundation is the most important. So Jesus is the foundation. We're told a few things in this passage about this foundation. First of all, this foundation was promised. Look at verse number six. Wherefore also it is contained in scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. This is a fascinating passage uh, that is being quoted from in Isaiah chapter number 28. But Jesus is promised. He was promised. Not only was he promised, he is precious. Look at verse number four. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Can I ask you something? Is Jesus precious to you? We're talking about a spiritual house. The primary feature that we begin with is that Jesus is the foundation. Jesus called precious of God, but is he precious to you? I know there's other things in my life and probably in your life that are, that are near and dear to you, to precious. And maybe it's possession. Maybe it's relationship. And maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but can I ask you this? Is what we're talking about this morning, is this, is this resonating with you? Is Jesus precious to you as he is to God? What do we know about this foundation? This foundation was promised. It is a precious foundation. He is preeminent. It's called, he's called here, uh, the same is made the head of the corner. This is speaking of the cornerstone or the capstone. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is one of the heaviest objects uh, recorded ever lifted by man without the assistance of any machinery. This stone is about 45 feet in length and about 13 feet wide. It is estimated that the stone weighs about four, 570 Tons, And it's one of the largest stones revealed. This is one single stone. You can go today and tour the Temple Mountain. You go underground. You can see this stone. We don't even know how it got into place, but it was placed there. It is still there. And I'll tell you one thing about that stone. That stone is not moving. And Jesus is the foundation of the church. And it's not moving. It's not going anywhere. There's this prevalent idea today that exists 
that you, sh- you can worship God apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the foundation. You hear this all the time in society. I'm just going to get alone. I'm going to get away. I'm going to get up in the mountains. That's where I feel close to God. Listen, that stone is not moving. Jesus Christ is, he's the promise, he's the precious, and he is preeminent, right? Let me ask you this. And I know there's, there's practical theology classes, and sometimes that leads to practical, even ministry discussions in a place like Bible college. It's a good thing, right? But let me tell you this. One of the key features of a spiritual house, the key feature, is that Jesus Christ is preeminent. So in everything that you do, would you ask yourselves, is Christ getting the preeminence in this? That stone is not moving. That stone is is not going to be tucked in the way in the back of some auditorium, right? That stone is preeminent. So Jesus, he was was, uh, promised. He is precious of God and should be precious to us. He is preeminent. He is perfect. In him was no sin. You read towards the end of the passage in verse number 22. It said, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth, judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. You see the, the audience here, they're, they're familiar with dead stones. You visit any ancient city in an ancient world, whether it's Rome or Jerusalem, and you see buildings constructed, impressive buildings constructed by dead stones. But see, what we find here is that Jesus is a better version of the temple. Jesus was the manifest presence of God. He is the living stone. He was the promised stone But not everyone's happy with that. We read in Scripture in 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. And he shall be, in Isaiah chapter number 8, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone, a stumbling, a stumbling, and for a rock of offense. Verse number 4, we read, disallowed indeed of men. Verse number seven, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they are, they were appointed. Well, let me tell you something. This happened even before Easter. There was, we had uh, leadership team meetings. And we talked through, where do we want greeters and how can we make people feel comfortable? And we want that at church, right? We want, we want to have those discussions and we want to think through those things. We want to make it easy for an outsider, right, to become an insider. This, this family of, of God, this household of faith is not an exclusive club, amen, right? We want people to come and be a part of the family to hear the good news of the gospel. We want to make that easy for them, whether that means first time parking or just a warm greeting and a handshake, and we want them to feel the love of Christ and feel welcome, right? But there is an offense. There is a stumbling block here that to the world, to those who are living in disobedience or rebellion against God, that, that rock of offense is not going away. Nor should we try to lessen that. And I've seen, and you've seen as well, even some preachers today, some, uh, some celebrity-type preachers that, that tried to, try to make Christianity more palatable. And again, I'm all for making people feel more welcome. But this rock of offense 
Meaning that we are dead in our sins and need a Savior, and Jesus is the only way. That's a, that's a pretty exclusive claim right there, right? And so, disallowed indeed of men. Imagine with me for a second. Here's, here's the picture that is being painted for us. So, imagine I go over to the North Auditorium. I call it the North Auditorium by habit, the Kids City Building. And they just finished up some beautiful rock work. It's all over the building, in the connector hallway as well. Some of you've seen it. If you looked over that direction, you've seen. And, and, and if you saw maybe a month or two ago, there were boxes and boxes and boxes of, of rocks, right? Now imagine for a minute that there was, there was one stone that just didn't seem quite right, didn't seem to fit. It wasn't maybe in the boxes uh, as they were all lined up. And this one just seemed kind of unique. And uh, our contractor, George Atkinson, he's kind of in in charge of the whole job. Let's say George came out one day and he saw that stone, but he saw it as he tripped over it. That's the reason he saw it, because he stumbled over it. He looked down and was like, what is this stone doing here? And why isn't it in the box? And where does this stone even fit? I can't believe this. And he he goes and he throws the stone maybe maybe to the side. Imagine one of the school classes is coming by and now he's cast the stone out. Uh, but now one of the school classes is walking by. Maybe they're walking uh, for their bathroom break or something like that. One of the kids is running. And that stone that George threw is now in the way. Let's say a kid tumbles and falls over it. And George comes out and is like, who, what's the deal with this stone? And he throws it away in the trash can in kind of anger, right? But imagine the next day the mason comes, the guy who's going to be doing all of the block work. And he gets on the job site and he's going to start. And before he starts, he says, and you can hear him all throughout this side of the campus. Where's my stone? Where's the stone? Everyone's like, what stone? He's like, the, the stone. The chief cone, stone. The, the, the most important, the one that I had set aside. And maybe you didn't know how it fit. Or maybe you didn't have any appreciation for it. But this is the stone. Listen, uh, to, to the world, they're content to throw Jesus in the dumpster. They're content to throw him away. But to God, he is precious. Unto us, he is precious. And the world may not understand, may not have any use for the message of Jesus. But to us, he is precious. Unto God, he is precious. And he is the foundation of everything that we do. Jesus is the foundation. But here's the cool part. The believers are the building. Look at this phrase here we find in Scripture. But ye... Also, let's say those three words together, but ye also. One more time, but ye also. Now, statements about rocks are significant, right? Especially considering Peter's name, Simon, uh, 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 in Aramaic is the, the word Petros. Peter is familiar with the concept of a living stone. Remember Matthew chapter number 16, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then we come to this phrase. So that was said of Peter. But what what Peter is saying here is, but ye also. Here's what Peter is saying. What is said of me is also true in you. But you also, you're included on this. In Ephesians chapter number two, and are built on the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed groweth unto a together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the spirit. Something special happens when we gather together. 
Matthew chapter number 18, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So something special happens collectively. This is why, uh, this is why we need church. This is why Jesus paid for the church with his own blood. This is why God loves the church. And something special happens when we come collectively and together. The story is told of a C.S. Lewis. He was a part of a, a famous circle of friends called the Inklings. They were, these were writers, authors, J.R. Tolkien named Roger. He was included in the group, the author of The Lord of the Rings. They also had another author friend, Charles Williams. And one day, Charles died unexpectedly. And C.S. Lewis was uh, speaking about the loss of his friend, Charles. And he said this, In each of my friends... There is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald, that's J.R. Tolkien, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of him. You look at any brick pattern and what you find is bricks laying upon bricks, jointly fit together. Listen, we are the body, we, we are the stones that make up the spiritual house. We are jointly fit together. What does this mean? It means you have a place. You have a purpose. I know some of you are here maybe just for a one-year Bible degree. Get that, but get plugged into a church. Find your place. Find your purpose. Uh, some of you will be pastors and missionaries and some here locally in the United States and some around the world. What are you going to do? Help people find their spot. Help them to get involved in serving, to know their place. Bricks supporting bricks. Stones supporting stones jointly fit together. So what happens in the spiritual house? Number one, we enjoy God's goodness. Number two, we experience his presence. We come together. We enter into his presence. Number three, we engage in worship. Now, worship and sacrifice in Scripture are synonymous terms. In fact, Abraham sacrificed Isaac, and he said, I and the boy will go wander and worship. There's a lot of cheap worship today. Uh, worship uh, changes us, but it also costs something. So there's worship. And so here's what we read in verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. There's a word here I always get a kick out of. It's the word peculiar. I learned one thing in Bible college. I learned this even just in my dorm. There's a lot of peculiar people. You ever figure that out? I remember even just my first week in the door, just like, man, these people are weird. Yeah, I had the one one guy in the room or one girl in the room that always sets the alarm like really early, but then is the last person to get up. You have someone like that, you know, goes off for hours, you know. There's a lot of weird, weird things. And I, I figured out people are strange. You know, you've heard before my dad said the gospel light attracts some strange bugs. And boy, that's true. We see that from time to time. But the word peculiar, it's not speaking of your roommate, although that definition might fit in our minds. The word peculiar is speaking of acquired, acquired. It's like if you go to, if you've ever come into like maybe an estate sale, you're walking around, something catches your attention. Like, man, what is what, that? That's interesting. What does this do? 
this looks different, you know. And, and, you, and, and you grab it and you try to figure it out. It's, it's peculiar. And you take it home, you buy it because you want to. That's, that's the meaning here. It's peculiar. It's acquired. Meaning, meaning God, you're special to him. You're different. You're acquired. Chosen generation. This is a, a, a term that was previously exclusive to Israel. In Exodus chapter number 19, we read, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the, all the earth is mine. Verse number 6 of Exodus. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's what this means in this passage, that we as Gentile believers, we are Included Access to God's presence was previously limited and exclusive. But now, listen, in the Old Testament, you had a better chance. You have a better chance of storming Area 51 than entering into the holies of holies. Uh, to be, to experience God's presence uh, when these words were written in the book of Exodus, you had to be a Jew. You had to be a male. You had to be of, of the tribe of Aaron. You had to be a high priest. And then, and then on the day, one, once a year on the Day of Atonement, you can enter, right? Here's the point. In the Old Testament, worship was always at an arm's length, arm's distance away. But now because of Jesus, one of the benefits of a spiritual house is that we can come boldly to God and make sacrifices. Now let's talk about sacrifices brief briefly because animal sacrifices are no longer needed. Christ was sufficient. He was the final offering, right? So what offerings, what sacrifices can we make to God? Well, there's a few in Scripture, and I'll just give you a few as we move along. First of all, our bodies. We read in Romans chapter number 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. We can present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Number two, continual praise. Declaring the attributes of God, <clears throat> Hebrews uh, 13 verse 15 by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name why is it so hard for us sometimes just to talk take a minute and talk about God and talk about the Lord and what he's done for us and what that means what the implications are why is it that it's so naturally when when a, when, a, when a big, and I'm not saying, I, I do this as well. When it's the Super Bowl or there's an election, there's always things to talk about. But why do we always find ourselves talking about those things, especially in the context of a Bible college or in a, in a church, a household of faith? One of the ways we can sacrifice is to just stop and say, listen, God is good and here is why he is good. Here's how I've evidenced his goodness. Continual praise. The sacrifices of giving and doing good, Hebrews 13, verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is, uh, is well pleased in, in our giving, in our doing good, in our converts, Romans chapter number 15, that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I think of the sacrifice of walking in love, Hebrews, or in Ephesians chapter 5, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. What does it mean to walk in love? Sometimes my wife tells me, I wish that we would walk together like we used to walk together when we were dating. When we were dating, we would walk around campus here, right? Any dating couples doing that? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, and we would walk around in circles. We had nowhere to go, so we walked very slowly. Now I've got places to go. That's what Ashley's saying. When she says walk in love, what she means is walk slowly. 
you need to walk slower. You know, sometimes she'll I'll get out of the car and she's got the skirt on and I don't understand all these things, but I know some have pleats, some don't, some are longer, some are shorter. And, and so sometimes I'm in a hurry and I'm like, Ashley, come on, hurry. And I'm like, I've got these big, I got a big gate, big steps. And I look over at Ashley and she's like, I'm coming as fast as I can. You know, she's like, I don't understand these things. Right. What did she say? She said, walk in love. She said, walk more slowly. Well, biblically, uh, we are to walk in love. What does that mean? That we're going to offer a sacrifice unto God, that we're going to walk sacrificially is what that means. And then the sacrifice of prayer, James chapter number five, John in, in, in Revelation refers to the prayer of all believers as a sacrifice. So here's the, here's the deal and we're done. What happens when we come together? Number one, we enjoy God's goodness. We experience his presence. We engage in worship. And then finally and quickly, we express God's glory. See, all this is for a point. You read here, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In verse number one of 1 Peter, we read of, 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 of the towns such as Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. How, to the churches that were in these locations, how was God's presence to be made known in those locations? How is God's presence to be made manifest in your town or here in Lancaster or in Palmdale? Through a spiritual house. Listen, Lancaster Baptist Church is a spiritual house made up of spiritual stones. Not inanimate stones, but living stones. Why? To manifest the glory of God who has called us into his marvelous light. I had, uh, I had coffee with, uh, he was a student here, and he didn't finish. And I, I, he, this, this particular individual was someone that I met very early on when he came to college, and uh, he was a likable guy. Like, you could hang out with him. He was really nice to everyone. Uh, but he, he texted me one morning, and he said, uh, I'm leaving college, and I'm going to go do this, and wanted to have coffee. And we went. We had coffee. And he had coffee when he was, our, he was on his way out of town. And it wasn't that it was a one-year Bible and uh, he had finished it up and he was going. He, he, he kind of left kind of abruptly. And I was, I, was, I, was, I was bummed out about it. And I went and I, and I talked with him. We talked through a lot of things. We, had, we, we talked for several hours and then he left. And he hasn't been back. And we haven't really talked much since. It's just a few text messages. I sent him a, a Starbucks gift card a while ago. But... One of the key problems in his life was he came to college, but he didn't come to church. And I don't mean that he was never in a service. He, he was in a service, although he was missing some services as well. But he wasn't doing these things. I don't know why the Lord impressed this particular message. I've preached this message before to our church family some time ago. I was looking over. There's actually other ones that I, that I felt like I would rather have preached, but this is the one I felt the Lord leading me to preach. Because you're here. You're studying, uh, you're, learning, you're, you're learning more about our God, learning how to serve him. And, and, and many of you are doing that so, so wonderfully even now. I guess my simple admonition to you is don't lose the overall picture of what you're doing here. Don't lose a heart for the house. I'm telling you, listen, this is what made no sense to me in the time that we had coffee with this individual. He came to college, 
to get an education to go serve the Lord, but in his time here, he was not serving. He was never receiving. He found a job that paid well, but what's the point? Why would you come here to find a job that pays really well if it's not keeping you here in school and it's not keeping you connected? Come and talk to me. Come and talk to someone. If you're, if you're here and you're like, you're here, and, and, and I know in this room there are individuals like this. Like, you've got a ministry, and maybe it's something like parking lot. I'm not, parking lot's a great ministry, right? But there are other things to be doing here at Lancaster Baptist Church. Uh, maybe, maybe that's it, and, and that, that, that's all, and you're not connecting. Maybe you're serving in a parking lot, and then you have got a job that's keeping you busy, and you've got schoolwork, and you're not really connected in the lifeblood of the church. Listen, you're part of the church here. It's one of the great things about Lancaster Baptist, uh, West Coast Baptist College. It's one of the features. We go around and we, we recruit for the college. One of the best features here that you won't find in every college is that it's under a local church. Well, don't come here and not get plugged in under a local New Testament church. And then your church as well. You're getting ready to go home for the summer. Get plugged in to that church. Why? Because that church is precious to God. He purchased it with the price of his son. It should be precious to you. Something happens in the church. Don't criticize the church in your absence. Strengthen the church in your presence. And churches look different, right? You're, maybe your church will do something a little differently than here. But listen, I, my prayer for you is that you leave here with an education, with a heart for the Lord, and a love for his church. So ask yourself this morning, are you doing these things? Are you Sunday? When you come, ask yourself, am I enjoying this? Am I enjoying the goodness of God? Am I experiencing his presence collectively with other believers through, through worship, through singing, through preaching? Am I engaging in that worship? And worship is, is sacrificial as well. Am I expressing the glory of God? Am I making him known? And as I'm in town, am I, am I telling others about Christ? Am I telling others, inviting others to, to, to his church? There was, a, there was a house that was built in Texas uh, five or six years ago. And connoisseurs of home construction had called it one of the most exquisite houses. It was an 18th century French chateau-styled house. And it was estimated about $44 million. It encompassed 43,000 square feet. That's a big house. This house had 10 bathrooms. Some of you guys are like, I would love 10 bathrooms. We have 10 people, one bathroom, right? <laughs> 10 bathrooms, 64 air conditioning units, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, 16-car garage. One of the neighbors, this was an, a, one of a nice, uh, night, night, extremely nice neighborhood, as you can imagine. He lived in that house, and he had like a, uh, just a, a, a $10 million house. He said, we're the poor neighbors by comparison. But something happened just before the, the owners of that house moved in. As they were completing construction, there was a fire. And the fire consumed the entire house. And they lost the entire house. And here's what I thought of when I looked at that, that story. Here's a house that had everything. It had every feature. It was designed so well. It was, it was almost completed. It was almost there. And it never served its purpose. Don't come to a Bible college. Get a degree. Sit in classes. Learn more about God and not fulfill your purpose. Don't lose sight of the, the fact that your purpose is to be connected into the body of Christ. 
serving and bringing others also. Why? For the glory of God. Let's pray.